0: Good morning everybody, we are making our way through the Gospel of John, if you have uh, your Bibles, your eye devices, we're in chapter 3, and uh, this is message 10 of a series that I think will be about 70 messages long, so we have a little ways to go, and even though we're in the Gospel of John today, it might feel like we're in Ecclesiastes, you'll get an idea of what I mean in a few minutes, let me pray for us, and uh, then we'll dive in. Well Father, I thank you for uh, gathering us here together this morning. I thank you Father that uh, you are here with us, that you stand ready to guide us and lead us into your word and we pray for that now. Whether we realize it or not, there's nothing more that we need at this moment than to be able to hear from you. And so I, I pray for us on our part that we would give our attention, our focus to your word right now, Sweeping away the things that might distract us, turning off our phones, casting aside the things that would keep us from fully focusing on you. The absolute most important thing uh, that we can do is to think about you and hear from you. And so I pray that this morning for each one of us. Father, I pray that you would take um, these uh, words that I'm about to speak, uh, and um, even though they fall far short, I pray that you'd use them uh, to speak to our hearts and minds now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. John, chapter 3. Here's our big idea for this weekend, and I will uh, kind of fill this out for us. It's something this, to trust God's calling in both the rising and the falling. And if you paid attention to uh, the reading that Noah gave us, you might begin to understand what we mean with rising and falling, but I'll, I'll explain that a little bit. And let me start with just a story, something I've been thinking about. So back um, about 12 years ago, I was kind of in a place in life where uh, I was working a lot. I was sitting a lot. Uh, Studying and reading and and meetings and all that and I I knew I needed to get more exercise and I'm I'm pretty cheap So I asked myself the question. What's the cheapest way? I can get exercise and I decided running was probably the cheapest. Uh, I already had a pair of shoes I mowed the lawn in so I was I was good to go I'm pretty sure I had some uh, shorts from um, the 1970s, so I was okay and um, and I so I had I, w- I didn't run in high school, I didn't run in college, I didn't like running, I didn't think it was fun at all. If I was running, it was usually from somebody, and, and so, but I decided I was gonna take up running, so I did maybe what some of you have done. Um, I got a Couch to 5K app, and then I put it on my phone, and I started to run, and it was really sad at first. I mean, I was actually really concerned for myself. I remember like, if you've done Couch to 5K, you know, they'll be like, run for 30 seconds, walk for five minutes, run for 30 seconds, and I remember thinking, I'm not gonna make it, right? <laughs> I just run to the end of the block and I could hardly do it, but I did it week one and week two and kind of went on and got to the point where I was doing the whole running for, running for 30 minutes and um, because I'm pretty limited in time, my, my whole goal at first was I wanna run every other day or maybe two out of every three days and um, I'm not interested in running you know, 50 miles, 20 miles. I would probably just like to run three or four miles uh, a day or every other day And so that's what I began to do. And it's pretty easy to do here. I would usually go out at lunchtime. Actually, my favorite time to run is right before the sun sets, like the later in the day the better, when the sun sets at nine that's like my favorite time of the year um, I for some reason have more energy in the evening and so I began to do this and so I ran for a while and I like I've shared this with you before, I don't particularly like running, it's not really fun to me so you know I'd listen to podcasts and music and stuff but I started getting really bored and it occurred to me one day like you know I'm, I'm running, it's going okay i wondered wondering how fast I could run three or four miles and I always need some kind of challenge so I decided I'm just going to try to run faster. I really didn't have time to run farther, but I'll try running faster. And so I began to do that, which involved like, you know, uh, setting my watch and, you know, checking my splits and all that stuff. And I was kind of getting a little faster. And then it kind of got to the point where I'm like, you know, I need to like, make sure I eat at just the right time and eat the right kind of foods like it was going down that road, which wasn't uh, great. And it was really turning into this whole, I just got to get faster and faster, which resulted in all sorts of other um, issues. But I remember this, so a couple years ago, it was probably a little under two years ago, I went for a run one day and usually if, if I could, maybe if I could run four miles and shave a second a mile off my time, like I was pretty excited. That, I was kind of down to that place. I knew I wasn't going to get much farther. And that's what it was all about. And one day I went for a run and I shaved uh, five seconds a mile off four miles. And I was like just, I was so excited, so pumped about that. And it occurred to me after I ran what if this is the fastest I will ever run in my entire life? Like, what if, what if this is it? What if I just hit my plateau and it's nothing but downhill from, from here on out? Right? And I, I thought about that. I'm like, man, well, I don't know that could happen. And so after that, every time I would run, if I would you know, shave off a second or two seconds, I would always have that same thought. Like, what if that's it? What if that's as fast? And that was actually... A hard thing for me to process. Like just the, like I know it sounds dumb, but just the reality, I won't just get faster and faster the rest of my life. Like that's not going to happen. At some point, I'm going to slow down and I didn't like that thought. I mean, I wrestled with that thought and every time I would go like for maybe a week and not improving my time, I'd be like, oh boy, that's it. Like here we go, right? It's just all downhill from here. But logically, I knew it was true. And I would probably tell you that I would say probably a year and a half ago, that was probably it. I don't know that I'm ever going to run faster than that. And, but here's the thing, I was able to kind of just let go of that and decide, you know, that's not the most important thing. Like the most important thing is that I get exercise. And when I, when I let go of that, that need to compete, and um to be on an upward trend it actually released me in a lot of ways like i just i didn't have to watch this the entire time and oh no i'm i'm not going fast enough or you know did i eat the right food at the right time or any of that i just kind of turned into i go out and i run and you know i actually enjoy it more and it's not as stressful as it used to be don't get me wrong i don't love it but you know it's it's better than it used to be and i tell you that because i want to talk a little bit about that idea like let's just widen this out a little bit Bit this morning and talk about this idea that that's kind of what life is like for us in a nutshell. I want to think uh, for a minute about the word vocation. Now when we use the word vocation today, we usually mean job but back in the 1500s when the word began to be used in the English language that's not what it meant it was actually derived from the Latin vocation or vocatia and uh, it means basically to be called by God to something and originally when it was used it it was used um, as uh, the idea was it was a summons or a call from God to perform a particular task or a function in life Um, not ministry not A job but that God calls us to a lot of things we we all have a lot of vocations that are going on simultaneously in our life and when God calls us to a vocation if we live long enough we know that just logically there's probably going to be an upward trend And then there's probably going to be a plateau, and then if you live long enough, there may be kind of a downhill thing going on, like just with running. So, But think about this in a lot of different areas. So many of us, God called us at some point um, to an educational vocation. I mean, you grow up and, and, and you start to read and then you read better and you go to school. And so for many of us, you know, we're to school, we're growing in knowledge. Maybe we kept going to school, we started getting degrees, we started getting, you know, awards. But at some point, you stop gaining degrees. At some point, you stop getting awards and, and making the, you know, the honor roll. And in fact, if you live long enough, you might start Losing information you knew, right? Uh, knowledge you might start forgetting facts and names and 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 f- you know that kind of stuff. If you live long enough, that's the way that it goes. Um, think relationally. God has called us vocationally to relationships, all right? And as we as we grow, we we get friends, and and maybe we start to get more friends, and we we develop deeper relationships. We learn how to be a better friend as we go along, and, and maybe at some point you gain like a certain amount of popularity. Maybe that's not a good word. Like I don't, I mean it in a neutral sense. You're known by a lot of people and you know a lot of people and you have a certain amount of influence in your world. And then there comes a day when that starts shrinking, right? When for all sorts of reasons, you're friendless starts getting smaller and your influence uh, starts shrinking and and one day you have less Facebook friends and you're never going to have more again and your influence wanes. That's the way oftentimes that relationships go. Um, Think about career. That's an obvious one. Uh, For many of you, if you've had a job, if you had a career, you went to school, you got some skills, you got a job. And then maybe you got a promotion and, and uh, you got a raise. Maybe you changed, uh, you know, employers and, and you got more authority. Maybe you started having people work under you and that was all great. But at some point that stops, right? At some point you take a lesser role, you, you take a lesser job, you have less authority or maybe you don't have a job at all. Right? So hopefully that's called retirement, but still, um, right? you, don't, you no longer have that authority. That's, that's part of the trend. And a lot of times that's exactly the way we want the trend to go. We don't want to work and do that forever. Think about parenting, right? We get going on, on and on, but I thought about parenting this week. So when you when you have children, right, at, at first you do almost everything for your kids. They're completely and utterly dependent on you. And then, uh, you know, they think you're the greatest person in the world. You walk on water and you know, you're Superman, you're Batman. And then one day they start to discover some things about you. And they start to find out you're not perfect and that you have flaws. And, and as time goes on, they start to rely on you less. They need you less. They in Interact with you less. Now we know on the one hand that's a good thing. That's what we'd hope for our kids. But it's a change in the relationship. Uh, some people they don't take it well. Some parents they, they can't let go. It's, it's hard for them even though it's natural. It's logical. Think about your health. Right, you you go from being strong and energetic and invincible. I I can't tell you how many conversations after the last service I had. There are people, you know. uh, One day you can do anything, and the next day you are relying on other people more and more and more because you cannot do it all yourself anymore. Financially, like quickly, you go in life from hopefully, um, you know, saving and growing your net worth, and then you plateau, and then you start spending what you saved and you have less net worth as time goes on again that you know hopefully that's a good thing but it's it's a change think about serving or or ministry many of you uh have been involved in serving in the church and maybe there was a time when you were deeply involved in ministry and you were on fire and you had tons of energy and tons of time to invest and and then after a while you don't have that energy anymore and you don't have that time and maybe you're not the the cool youth worker anymore, you know, other people start eclipsing you in that. We're going to talk about this today, this, this idea of vocation and this idea that vocation has its phases and that can be good that could be okay. We're gonna look at John the Baptist. Now we, we saw John the Baptist in chapter one and John was a guy who started in obscurity and then people started noticing John and pretty soon he's getting tons of attention. Everyone's talking about him. Every, everyone's coming out to hear him and to get baptized by him. And remember what we said John was a pointer. He wasn't the point. John was a witness. He was pointing people to Christ. And now in chapter three, things are changing, right? He's on a kind of a different trajectory now. And John has some things to teach us about vocation and about God's calling on our lives. And so we're going to look at those. And the first thing we're going to notice in your notes today is that we're going to start by talking about a toxic attitude. And it wasn't the attitude of John, it was the attitude of of John's disciples. We're going to pick up in John chapter 3 verse 22. Now after this, that is after the last section we read about, about Jesus and and Nicodemus and that whole discussion. After that, Jesus and his his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and, and was baptizing. Now John was also baptizing at Enon near Salem because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized. And then John the apostle gives us a little postscript about John the the Baptist saying for John had not yet been put in prison so he's just kind of letting us know where John's story is going so now we have Jesus and his crew and they've gone out to the countryside and they're they're baptizing people and and John and his crew are also baptizing people nearby They're both doing what we would call a baptism of repentance. Pretty much the same thing. Now what's interesting is back in chapter 1, remember John was baptizing and preaching and Jesus walked by and he pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we know that at least two of his disciples began to follow Jesus. But John is still carrying on his calling. And people are still coming to John to be baptized even though Jesus is just right down the river and he's baptizing as well verse 25 now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification we don't know who the Jew was it was probably a religious leader who comes and he's talking to John's disciples and they're talking it says here about purification so the, the word discussion means dispute or question and likely this is all about the unorthodox way that John is baptized and we talked about this a little while back they didn't the Jews didn't have a baptism like John was doing and it hadn't been sanctioned so the, they're probably arguing about is this even valid should this even be done and they're in this discussion and then the next verse is almost kind of a disconnect because after this discussion it says and John's disciples came and they said to him Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, he's talking about Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So there's some, there's some friction. There's some competition going on here because John's ministry is beginning to be eclipsed by Jesus and his ministry. And John's disciples come to him and say, everyone is going to Jesus, So his disciples are exactly what you think they are. They are jealous. They're jealous of Jesus and what's happening. So they exaggerate, right? They say everyone's going to Jesus, but not everyone was going to Jesus. We know people were still coming to John and were still getting baptized by him, interestingly enough. So again, think about this. John spent years, probably upwards of about 30 years, living in the wilderness Living in obscurity, eating grasshoppers and honey, and you know, having a life of self-denial, and then suddenly he's all the rage. Everyone's going to him. Everyone's talking about him. All the headlines about are about him. Religious leaders are going out to interview him and find out what he's going, what he's doing. There's tons of spiritual fruit, and now in John chapter three, very quickly his star begins to fade. Um, His vocation is kind of now it's getting smaller. And the irony of course is that this was the core purpose of John's calling all along. This was always his goal that people would stop going to him and they begin going to Jesus. But there's this human tendency to compare ourselves to other people instead of just God's calling on our lives and our culture certainly feeds that. Social media obviously feeds that. You, you go on Facebook, you see people, they're posting, you know, here's my family, look at them, aren't they wonderful? Nobody posts pictures of their family when they got up in the morning, they're grumpy, right? We wait until everyone's had their coffee and they're smiling and we, we take their picture. Here's our vacation, here's the, you know, here, there's how we travel. Here's my successes, here's my job, here's my yard, here's my hobbies and we're always putting that stuff on and what are we doing with it? We're always comparing ourselves. I, I don't go on vacations like that. My, my kids don't look like that, you know. My life doesn't, doesn't look like that. And it even happens in, in, in churches. And I know pastors who won't let anyone else preach in their, in their church because they're so insecure about that. I kind of get that. I I was telling my wife this week. I was like, I remember this thing happening and I I I it was probably after I'd been here about a year or so. We were over in the old building and so yeah, I was just preaching every weekend, learning how to preach. And I remember at some point I'm like, God, I need to let somebody step in and someone else preach. And so I remember having some I don't even remember who it was. I had someone else preach on a Sunday. And, um, and so they preach, and at the end of the service, all I remember was being back in the hallway of the old building, and I remember somebody, I don't remember who it was, they came up to me, and they, afterwards, they said, Pastor, that was the best sermon I've heard in years. You need to let that guy preach more often. And I just remember like, oh, like, I, you know, in my mind, I'm like, nope, he's never preaching again. You know, <laughs> it's like feeling insecure, feeling unsure about that thing, right? And, and maybe you felt like that. Maybe even in ministry, you felt like that. Maybe, maybe you've taught a Bible study at some point, you know, and, and, and people were coming, and then someone else came in it. Maybe they had a bigger class, they had more people come. Maybe you're on the worship team, and, you know, after the service is over, people come up and tell everyone how great they were, but nobody says anything to you. And, and instead of looking to your calling, you're looking at, at other people. You know, maybe, uh, maybe you're a Club W coach and you wonder why, how come all the other clubs are bigger than mine? Or maybe you work with, uh, you know, youth and, and you're involved in the youth group and you're like, how come all the other youth leaders are more popular than me and everyone seeks them out? And right, you get the idea. We, sometimes we do that. Instead of looking to our calling... We start looking at other people. We start comparing ourselves. And that's John's disciples. That's, they have this toxic attitude where they're looking at other people instead of their calling from God. But that's not what John was like. John is looking in a different way. I'm going to say John has a proper altitude. Not attitude, but altitude. I'll explain that. In verse 27, this is what John says to his disciples. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Let me read that again, let that sink in. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from God in heaven. John has this, this proper perspective to evaluate the success of, of other people. What's the right perspective? If someone else has a gift that's superior to mine, if they can teach better than me, preach better than me, sing better than me, right? That comes from God that's where it comes from. If someone has more success than me, if someone has a nicer home than me, they're more popular than me, more friends than me, if they take nicer vacations than me, if their kids are, you know, perfect, whatever that is, maybe they have more degrees, they have a better GPA, they have a a better job title, they still have hair on their head. John just says, remember, remember where that comes from remember who grants that who gives people talent and opportunities and results it's God that's where it comes from that's how we look at other people right it comes from God but it's also the proper way to evaluate your own life and your own success now again there's a tendency to look at the successes of other people and I see this sometimes and say things like what was handed to them you know, it was easy for them. Uh, they're, they're privileged, more privileged than I was. They, you know, they got lucky. They were at the right place at the right time. It's so interesting when other people are successful, how we write that off. But with us, it's always like, well, you know, I'm successful because of my hard work, because of my dedication, because I studied hard, because I'm, you know, just intelligent. I'm, I'm dedicated. A, a couple years ago, I... I remember uh, preaching, uh, teaching one weekend, I don't even remember which one it was, but we we were talking, somehow I got on the topic of what we're talking about today, and I made the comment in general, I said, you know, all of us have been all of us in this room are privileged in some way. We've all been given some things to work with. We've all been given some opportunities. And I, and I made that comment. My, my whole application was just like, hey, if God ever gives you a chance to give somebody else a, you know, upper leg to help them a little bit, maybe you should do that and help them. And I got a, I got a call the next day from somebody, um, a mature Christian who was just literally yelling at me. And they said, you know what? No one ever gave me anything Everything that I have in my life, I earned. I worked for. I had no privilege. No one's given me anything. Why should I give anyone else anything? And I remember at the time thinking, I'm glad we're talking on the phone and I'm standing next to them when the lightning bolt comes down, right? Because, right, you don't say things like that. Why? Because it's not true. 1 Corinthians 4 tells us this. Who made you superior to others? Didn't God give you everything you have? Well, then how can you boast how can you brag how can you say things like that as if what you have was not a gift see that's the right perspective for evaluating ourselves and evaluating others all that we have is from God all that they have is from God and this truth can set you free from comparing from jealousy from discontent from pride from resentment when we begin to understand that every good thing we have in our life is a gift from God and that's true of other people as well. In our story it goes on to say this, John says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I've always said to you, I am not the Christ but I have been sent before him. I love this, John knew who he was and John knew who he wasn't. He knew who he was, he was a witness, he was a forerunner, He was selected by God to do this thing. In the same way, I would say that all of you have been given vocations by God. He's given them to you. He chose you to do those specific things. But John also knew who he wasn't. He wasn't God. He wasn't the point. He he, he wasn't the Messiah. As one writer said, being a witness for Christ begins with a negative proposition that we know who we are not. And John certainly knew that. Here's what one writer said, essentially, many Christians in churches today are trying to draw people to Jesus by drawing people to themselves. The goal is to make our churches so attractive that people will want to be Christians simply because we are so cool and so together and so admirable. We are irresistible. In fact, it's interesting, there's actually a network of churches today called Irresistible Churches built on that idea. That a church could be so irresistible to the world that people will come to Christ because we are so irresistible. He goes on to say this churches now have celebrity pastors, celebrity musicians. They've replaced corporate worship with band performances, lightning effects, and fog machines. Sound biblical teaching has been replaced by sermons on five steps to happiness, etc., instead of sermons that glorify God and call people to repent of their sin. Josh Moody in his commentary on John said this, you cannot point people to Christ until you have learned to point people away from yourself. That's that's John's approach right there. I'm not the point. It's not about me, John says, it's about Jesus. He's the point. John was free from from a competitive spirit, from from a comparison spirit. In John you see no hint of of rivalry, of, of jealousy, of insecurity. John just keeps doing what God has called him to do even when his, his star, so to speak, is fading. Even though he's gotten the fastest run he'll ever get in, and now he's just slowing down at this point. More people are going to Jesus, less people are coming to him. Again, in verse 27, he says, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. R.C. Sprawl puts it this way. In one sense, John was speaking here about the principle of vocation, the classical understanding of, of the ways that God calls us to things. God has called every one of us to certain vocations in life, certain opportunities and in ministry. Maybe you've had a vocation as a student, as a spouse, that's certainly a vocation. As a parent, as an employer, as an employee, in relationships with people. It is God who calls us to those vocations it is God who gives us abilities and and talents and and opportunity but the danger the toxicity comes when we when we take our eyes off God and when we begin to put it on other people when we compare ourselves when we compare our calling our, our talents our opportunities and it never creates anything good in us never It either creates pride in us or or just insecurity right jealousy envy dissatisfaction even putting down the calling of of other people and as one writer said when we do that we despise the gifts that God has given in his wisdom and we begin to despise our issue isn't with the other person and what they have it's with the God who gave it to them and so God gives John a, a heavenly perspective what is that perspective God is sovereign God is in charge God chooses God gives to people as God chooses to give to people, and John just says, "I'm good with that." In fact, you know, I'm great with that. Which takes us to our last point, and that is a joy in the decrease. We find that John doesn't really go down kicking and screaming. In verse twenty-nine, he has a, he's going to give a little picture. To the disciples is going to say I'm full of joy even as my ministry is is kind of going downhill if you will and here's why it gives him a picture he says the one who has the bride is the bridegroom or we call them the groom today and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice therefore this joy of mine is now complete John just says let me just tell you why I'm so excited John says I'm like the best man at a wedding I'm like a best man. Now, a best man at a Judean wedding 2,000 years ago was dramatically different than the best man at a wedding today. Um, today usually that you know the bar for a best man is as long as he doesn't lose the ring but back then a best man had a lot of responsibilities William Barclay puts it this way he says the friend of the groom that shoshben in Hebrew had a unique place at a Jewish wedding we would think of him as the best man what did a best man do well he acted as a liaison between the bride and the groom he arranged the wedding The best man arranged the wedding. He sent out the invitations. He presided at the wedding feast. He brought the bride and the groom together at the altar. He served as the master of ceremonies. Once the ceremony had taken place, he would take the bride to the bride chamber and he would guard the door until the groom arrived. And when he heard the groom's voice, he was glad and he would let the groom in and then he went on his way rejoicing because his task was completed. John says, that's me. I'm like the best man at the wedding. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as the bride of God. And in the New Testament, there's several references to the church as the bride of Christ. So John's just basically saying, I'm not the groom, I'm the best man. Right? I, get to, I get to go to the wedding feast and, and stand next to the groom as he enters the joy of the wedding. I get to bring the bride and the, and the groom together. Right, he's, he's introducing people to Jesus and they're coming in. They're becoming the bride of Christ. And he's like, that's what I'm doing. I'm bringing that together. And he says, and, and, and that's happening. That's happening. And now I'm, he says, I'm full of joy because I'm, I'm seeing the fruit of my ministry. And I know that I'll, I'll have been successful when no one comes to me anymore to be baptized. When I'm just standing by the river waiting for people, nobody comes, and everyone goes to Jesus. That's when I will know I did it. I, I, I nailed it. And this is where he says in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, a lot of times when we read this verse, if we just pull it out of context, we think it's about sanctification, right? And certainly that, that principle is there. And we read it and go, well, what it means, what he's saying is that I must become less and less in my life and Jesus must become more and more, and that's certainly true, but that's not the context of what's going on here. The context here is about vocation. The context here is about John being called by God to do a specific thing, and what he says is, John says, I must, you know, I must decrease vocationally, and Christ must increase. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say to his disciples, okay guys, let's Let's give Jesus a run for his money. He thinks he can baptize more people than us, right? Challenge on, like let's, let's get out leaflets and bring in people. He doesn't do that. He also doesn't say, okay, guys, we're, let's pack it up. Jesus is here, he's doing his thing, let's, let's be gone. Instead, notice what he does. He says, let's just keep fulfilling our, our vocation. Whatever it is, however many people come or don't come, and the more successful we are, the more our ministry will diminish, Right? We will work ourselves out of a ministry until one day God shuts us down and then we can just rejoice in what God is doing over there and someone else. That's not easy. Right? That's not easy to say, I'll know I'm successful when nobody comes to me anymore, when my ministry diminishes. Verse 31, he says this, he who comes from above, that's Christ, is above all. And he who is of the earth, he's talking about mere human beings, himself in particular. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. That's what he's, he's been doing. He who comes from heaven is above all. John's just saying this, I'm, I'm just human, right? I have human limitations and, and limited intelligence and limited ability and power and time and perspective. But Jesus... He says, Jesus has come down from heaven. Jesus is eternal. He knows it all. He's seen it all. He has the big picture. He has a 40,000 foot view, if you will, of human history and of your life and of my life. He has that perspective, that altitude you know, it kind of reminded me of when I read it was a few weeks back. Mike and I were in uh, Nicaragua, and we did a lot of kind of driving through cities. And a lot of times, when you're in a in a in a town like in Nicaragua, say Managua, and you're driving, it's just it's traffic, and there's cars, and you can just only see down a street. And so we drove all the way across the country from the Pacific to the Caribbean side. It took about uh, 15 hours to get across. We we flew back in one hour, and we got kind of a higher you know picture. So we got to look down and be like, oh now I see how the city's laid out. Now I understand where that is and and how everything goes. And that's what he's saying, that Jesus has this ultimate view, this perspective that you and I don't have. He talks about Christ being above all, that Christ is sovereign over all things, not just physically above it all, if you will, but he is above, he is first, He is preeminent in all things. In other words, we can never make too much of Christ. J.C. Riley puts it this way We can never have thoughts about Christ that are too high. We can never love him too much. We can never trust him too implicitly. We can never lay too much weight upon him and speak too highly in his praise. He is worthy of all the honor that we can give him. He will be all in heaven. So let us see to it that he is all in our hearts today on earth. And that's John's perspective. And that's why John can have this this attitude that is so rare in human beings today and even back then. So I I need to wrap this up. I wanna in your notes give you four quick takeaways. So what do we do with this? Uh, I wanna mention four things. The first thing is this. I wanna encourage you to remember God when your calling is on the rise so for some of you and many you know some of you or maybe you're just everything's ahead of you right now you're like it's just the road looks good and you're climbing some of you maybe you feel like there's a little plateauing you're up you're down in different areas some of us probably feel like maybe we're just going down in every area of life right now just remember this when your calling is on the rise maybe in academics maybe relationally maybe career rise maybe it's some ability or, or skill or it's financially or influence just remember who gave you the ability who gave you the opportunity remember where it came from it came from God in first Corinthians 4 7 again notice what Paul says who made you superior to others didn't God give you everything you have well then how can you boast as if what you have were not a gift give God the glory today right? give God the glory for your talents give God the glory for your incredible intellect right that you have today and, and and for your successes never forget to give god the glory have john's perspective like really enjoy what god has entrusted to you but at the same time be humble and remember that everything you have is a gift from god right? be like paul never forget you're not the point you're a pointer so enjoy enjoy the, the trip just right remember it's quick. I, I remember being in high school and how many times my, my senior pastor in high school was super old. He was like 60 years old. And I, I remember like he would say things like, you know, it's, it goes like this. It's really quick. Like don't, never forget that today is a gift and it'll go quick. And I remember like being 15 and going, I believe him. I believe that it's true. But being on the other side of that, you realize it's even more true, isn't it? So I would just tell you like, just trust God. Just enjoy what he's given you. But Be humble. Be humble. Number two, remember God when your calling is, is fading. When you find yourself like John and, and the popularity's going down, the ministry's going down, the thing's going down. Or just remember that the same God who lifted you up right, is still with you. And he still has purposes for you even when, like John, lesser people are coming to hear. You have lesser influence. In Romans eight twenty eight, it says, we know that for those who love God, all things all things trajectory up the plateau going down i'll never run that fast again i'll never do my job like that again whatever it is remember that all things god works all things together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose god can even use your fading star god can even use your fading years for good sometimes in greater ways than you were when you were going up so trust him trust his plan for you right Sometimes there are more results and there's more joy when we're, we're on the downhill side of our calling than when we're, you know, kind of fighting our way up. Number two, remember God when your calling is fading. Number three, be faithful when your calling is, is fading, right? Be like John, who continued to fulfill his vocation, continue to feel, fulfill God's calling to him, right? to be faithful, right? To, to, to be secure in that, to not be jealous, to, to be joyful. to to trust God, even if it's a lesser vocation, even if it's a smaller vocation, even if you get noticed less. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in in all things, notice at all times in every time when things are going up and when things are coming down, that you may abound in every good work as long as you are here on this earth. God has good work for you to do. So be faithful with what he gives you and know that God can even use your humble efforts in huge ways. And number four, rejoice when you see God using other people. Other people and in, in ways that he's not using you in bigger ways or, or whatever it is. Acknowledge it when you see God using other people. Right, Encourage the other person. Uh, take joy. In the fact that God is building his kingdom through through other people. Give God any jealousy, any bitterness, any insecurity that you might have. And sometimes that happens to us. And just remember that ultimately, it's not about you. It's not about you being glorified. It's about Jesus. You're not the point. Christ is the point. The Christian life is not about you getting God into your story. It's about you finding your place in God's story and what God is doing in the world. You're not the point of the story. Jesus is, and wherever you find yourself in God's story, just know that he has great joy for you, great meaning for you. Psalm 4610 has always been one of my favorite verses, and this is a little kind of a broader translation. Uh, Be still, cease striving. Some translations even say be quiet, right? Just, Just calm down and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth, God says, just be still, just see striving, just be able to enjoy where God has you in life right now. The dis- uh, disciples of John, they were, they were doing this very thing, they were striving, they were, they were anxious, they were upset. And John's like, we don't have to be like that. We can enjoy where God has put us today. You know, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm 62 years old. And I think to myself sometimes, especially on Monday mornings, Monday mornings I come in and I often have this thought, I cannot do this thing forever. <laughs> like, I can't keep up this pace. I can't work these hours. I can't, I can't do this forever. I, I don't have the energy I used to have. I, I had my yearly checkup this last week, went to see my doctor. She's like, how's it going? We talked about a few things. I said, you know what? One concern I have is I just don't have the energy I used to have. And she said, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're 62. Anything else? Like that was the end of the conversation. I just, I was hoping for more, you know. I, it's, there's, there's uh, I'm never gonna have the energy I used to have. I don't. You know, I, I, there's no chance, I don't know that there was ever a chance, but there's no chance of me being cool, I'm just never going to be that guy, you know, it's like, that That ship has sailed, that's gone, I got to let go of that. I don't, I, I, I don't have any illusions of being relevant to young people, you know, I know guys my age who are always like, I'm just trying to get in the head of teenagers, I'm, why would you do that? You know, I'm like, it's like, I don't, I, I don't have any illusions, I'm not really sure that young people need me to try to be anything other than 62, I'm like I'm over that I'm beyond that I'm never gonna be cool Um, I don't I'm never gonna be quotable I'm I'm never gonna be popular on YouTube that's okay my eyes aren't what they used to be sometimes at the end of the day I'm done my eyes are done I can't read anymore or do anymore Uh, I'm never gonna grow my hair back I'm never gonna be so when I came to Gateway I was 33 And when I came to town, I remember getting together with some of the other senior pastors in town and I was a lot younger than those guys. And I was like the up and comer and they would say that with a certain amount of disdain, right? I'm the old guy now. I'm that other guy, right? I'm not the up and comer anymore. I know that. In many ways, I'm kind of on this downside. And, and it's okay, but here's the thing. I'm learning to have John's perspective. I'm, I'm learning that it's okay. I'm learning that God's still in charge and, and that God knew what he was doing. And in and, and some ways, I'll tell you this, it really sets you free. When you're no longer looking at other people, comparing yourself to other people, it sets you free to just look at God. To say, God, what do you want me to do? God, what have you called me to do right here and right now, for just as long as you've called me to do it. I feel like I don't have anything to prove anymore, you know? I don't, I'm glad about that. So now, here's one of the things, when you can let go of that stuff and just enjoy where God has you, there's a lot of joy there. There's a lot of meaning there, right? You can just focus on, on, on God and serving other people and proclaiming the gospel and just rejoice. Just rejoice whatever God chooses to do in you and to rejoice in whatever God chooses to do in other people, younger people, more vivacious people, more energetic people, people more intelligent than you, have more fruit than you. You can rejoice in that because it's not a competition. John says, you know what? I can just rejoice because I, I had a vocation, I had a calling. And it's, it's just about what God's called me to do. John says, trust God. Just like trust God. Know that God has great things for you, even when you're older, even when things are decreasing. There can be more joy and even more meaning than in the uphill battle, amen? Yeah, trust God's calling in both the rising and the falling. There's great joy to be found when we are just comfortable with where God has placed us. Let me pray for us. Father God, I, I thank you for our time here this morning. I thank you for uh, your, your sovereign choice of including this story in the Gospel of John because it is, so, it is so helpful for us even 2,000 years later. There are so many ways we can relate to John's disciples. We know what striving is like. We know what comparing and, and jealousy and envy is like. We know that. We don't like it but we know what it's like. But we've also caught a glimpse of what it's like to be John, someone who can just accept his vocation, and just rejoice when it's on the upward trend, accept it when it's on the downward trend, find joy and purpose in me, because we know that the same God who has called us to the various vocations and jobs in life, that the same God who had us on that upward trajectory has purpose and meaning and, and works all things for the good even on the downward trajectory. Same God, same love, same purpose, same sovereignty, same care, same joy and meaning. It's all there if we will but trust you. So Father God, I pray for all of us in this room this morning. I, I pray for those who just find themselves, it's all ahead of them, it's, it's exciting, they're on the way up, that they will enjoy that and that they'll be humble in that and pointing people to you. I pray for those who have plateaued or maybe on the way down in certain areas of life that again, Father, we could, we could learn to enjoy and trust and point people to you even in that. Thank you that you are always with us that you always have good things for us. In Jesus' name we pray. In all God's peace.